Can you read it? It says, I'm not angry. This is just my face. Funny thing about this shirt is John and Misty, they're super close friends of mine, and they happen to be in a store. They come across this shirt, and sadly enough, their first thought is, I have to buy that shirt from Matt. I've learned over the years that I have an issue with my face. Um, <laughs> you can ask anybody who works for me uh, that I, I just constantly am giving looks that I have no intention of giving. My wife would say the same thing. I, I'm, I'm working on it. It's a process, really, just trying to learn how to fix my face. Well, I've learned, actually, that my face might have actually been the, the thing that's caused so much conflict in my life. See, growing up in high school, uh, I, I got into conflict a lot, and I was... It was stupid high school conflict, of course. Never actually got into a fight, mostly because I, I didn't ever want to get hit in a fight. But I did get into these, like, yelling back and forth matches all the time. I went to a private Christian school, so you can imagine how thug it was. I mean, like, me and, me and my friends, we, we just we thought we were a big deal. And I had a graduating class of, like, 16 people, and so it was pretty easy to be a big deal among 16 people. But whatever. I digress. And so we were at a, we were at a high school basketball game. I think it was a girls' basketball game on campus, and some guys from a rival private Christian school. Imagine, are you picturing it, the thugness of all this going on? It's getting, it's getting crazy. Anyway, these guys, they, they come over and they just start talking trash, like they're just yelling across the parking lot. And, and me, I mean, I'm a big deal. I'm not taking that. And so what do I do? I, this is like one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done, and I can't believe I'm telling you. So I stood there, and look at him, I'm like, you don't know me. You don't know who I roll with. <laughs> to this day, I have no idea what that actually means because this is actually who I was rolling with. Like, <clears throat> the guy on the left, Michael, he's one of my best friends to this day. He wore penny loafers and polo shirts with an alligator on them. And Randy on the right, like, literally is the skinniest person I've ever known in my life. I have no idea what this is who, you don't know who I roll with actually even means. I also have no idea what this story has to do with today at all, except for the fact that we happen to be right in the middle of our series called Fight Right. We're in week three. And during the series, we're doing our best to talk about the fact that we all experience conflict. It really doesn't matter who you are, the type of relationships that you're in. In every single relationship or type of relationship, we will experience some kind of conflict. Uh, if, in a work relationship, if you're a boss, you'll experience conflict with your employees or a coworker. Or within your family, you're going to experience conflict with your spouse or with your kids. And certainly with your friends, you're going to experience conflict throughout life. And we all tend to view it as a bad thing. But I honestly believe that conflict isn't always a bad thing. In fact, I believe conflict is the testing ground to the strength of a relationship. That if your relationship has the strength to go through conflict, to work through it correctly, the tools to handle it well, and you can come out on the other side restored and reconciled, it can only serve to strengthen that relationship. And Pastor John, also known as Napoleon Dynamite, he said last week that to fight right, we must look in the mirror. And we spend so much time, if you remember last week, he held the magnifying glass in the mirror. You should go back and watch it if you didn't see it. But we spend so much time holding the magnifying glass, just looking as close as we can, just searching and searching and searching for what the other person did wrong. Uh, finding ways to, to put fault on them, to put the blame on them so that when, when we get into conflict, we don't have to take any of the blame, that we can, we can force it all back on them. But we need to own our own junk. That's what, that's what looking in the mirror is all about. Uh, he had a few phrases that just really stuck with me. They weren't main points or anything, but he had one where he said, you know, you may only have 2% of the faults, but you need to own 100% of that 2%. And then my favorite one, the one that stuck with me all week long, was no one ever blamed their way into resolving conflict. But where does this conflict come from? 
Well, we've been looking every, every week so far that James, the younger brother of Jesus, he, he actually talked a lot about where conflict come from, comes from. And you don't have to believe anything in this book. Uh, you don't have to believe anything that any of the writers of this book have to say in this book. But you cannot deny that what James has to say about conflict is true. In fact, as I read through this verse right now, as we go through it, you're going to realize that, yeah, that's, there's nothing untrue about that. James has this to say about conflict. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And you're like, man, James, as the kids say, that hits different. I think they say that. I've heard a kid say that at least once. You desire but do not have, so you kill. And we look at that and we're like, James, I didn't kill anybody. And we can very much assume that James is it's kind of a euphemism here. He's just kind of exaggerating a little bit. We don't kill, uh, but we want to, or at, least, or at least we want to kill the relationship. We want to sever it. We want to cut it off. And so that's what happens in, in conflict. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. And so you quarrel and fight. And our definition throughout this series that we've been going through is for conflict is tension between two or more people resulting from unmet expectations, desires, and wants. Re tension resulting from your unmet expectations, your desires, your wants. And again, because this is so important to me, it's important to all of us as we teach throughout this series, we're going to take the time to say it every week. We are not talking about conflict where you are experiencing abuse. You see, if you're experiencing abuse in a relationship, you need to walk away from that relationship. You need to sever that tie with that person, uh, at least until they get the help that they need. Uh, at least until they've realized the hurt that they've caused and they've apologized, and probably until they've gotten to the point where they have a plan for no longer doing what they've been doing to you. And we all know this to be true as well. Even then, even then it may not be the best idea to reconcile that relationship. Sometimes it just needs to stay broken. What we're talking about in the Fire Right series, what we're talking about today is normal, everyday, throughout life, normal relational conflict. Today, today we're hitting on what has to be people's least favorite portion of conflict. And I, I'm going to take a quick poll. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. But if I asked you uh, to raise your hand, tell me how many of you hate confrontation? Absolutely, yeah. Most people don't like walking into a tough conversation. Most people have zero desire to be unliked by the other person. Uh, we don't want to anger them. Uh, we don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want our feelings to get hurt any more than they already are. And so we avoid the conversation. We, we, we try our best to pretend like nothing happened. Or, or we use this. Uh, we use this to try and pretend as if we're actually doing something to resolve the conflict. We, we com communicate in a way that, that saves us from having to actually look at somebody in the eye. And we, we shoot off a quick text. Uh, in the moment, we shoot it off. Or, or for some of us, we, we try and craft this perfect email. This email that if... And if I say all the right words, and if I craft the structure of the sentences the correct way, that by the end of it, they're going to feel my heart. They're going to know what I meant to say. Or they're going to want to apologize for what they did to me just based off my perfect email. We do that all in hopes that the conflict will just magically disappear. If you remember back in week one, I talked about a wound and how the, the idea that time heals all wounds is, is, is a ridiculous thought. Uh, we hope that they'll forget about what we said. They'll forget about what we did to them. Or for me, this is, this is what I fall into a lot. 
I'll be fine tomorrow. I'm sure they didn't mean to make me feel that way. I'm sure they had no intention of making me feel the way I felt after they said or did what they did. I'll be fine. I can, I can get through this myself. But we all know that it never really goes away at all. See, we might feel a little bit better the next day. We might be able to get to a point a few months down the road where we're not thinking about it every day. Or maybe we don't think about it at all until we run into that person again and then the, the feelings start to come back. Or, or, God forbid, the next conflict happens and now it's even worse because you never dealt with it the last time. But really, all we have done is taken another conflict and thrown it on a pile of conflict that has been unresolved. And conflicts that are unresolved within a relationship are slowly going to dissolve that relationship. Slowly going to begin to break down any connection you have with that person to the point where you're just coexisting going into the future. And that's why what we're talking about today is so stinking important to me. Because I truly believe that nothing has the power to restore a relationship faster than a conversation. I think, uh, I think intuitively you and I, I think we kind of know that. Uh, for a lot of us, we've experienced some conversation at some point with somebody that when it was finished, no matter how hard it was, we knew that it was better. When we stepped into a difficult conversation or somebody approached us with a difficult conversation and it was over, no matter how hard it was, we felt better. We knew we could move forward. Whether the relationship was fully restored or not, we knew we could move forward. But what I haven't quite figured out is why this hasn't become the default response for us. Why hasn't stepping up and having the difficult conversation become our default? I honestly believe it's because you and I, like we were not given the tools growing up. We don't have the tools at our disposal to handle confrontation in an extremely healthy way. And so that's what I'm going to try and do today. Uh, but to do that today, we've got to do something that we don't do very often around here. We work really hard when we write our messages to hone in on one subject, uh, to really hone in on one piece so that when you walk out these doors, you don't have to try and remember too much. We know you can't handle that. I can't handle that. So when we walk out these doors, it's like one thing. But today, i got to focus in on two different types of conversations. Uh, there, there's obviously plenty of other types of conversations. There's plenty of other types of conflicts in life. But I think, really, these two buckets are pretty big. Most of our conversations, most of our conflicts would fit within one of these two buckets. And if I only focused on one specific subject today, uh, then you would only have half the tools. You'd only have half the tools to actually work through conflict in a healthy way, and there would be half the time that you would not be prepared to do so. And I don't do things halfway. I'm here for you. I want you guys to have the tools, all the tools that you need to handle conflict well. And so today I'm going to piggyback off of some principles from the past two weeks. So the first week I, I kind of ended my message with an idea of make the first move. Be the first one to step up, and no matter what the situation is, you should always be thinking, I'm going to make the first move. And then John said yesterday... Uh, or last week, he talked a lot about looking in the mirror, looking at yourself, owning your own stuff. And so the first tool that we're going to look at is making an effective apology. Instead of helping a bad apology, <laughs> and it can make things so much worse. Uh, men, I'm not throwing stones here. I'm not calling you out. By, maybe, yeah, I'm calling you out. So men, you may want to take some notes on this one. I think as a, as a gender, we're, we're probably on the lower end of being good at, at doing the apology thing. Because it's really amazing how difficult it can be to make a good apology. Bad apologies are just kind of what flow out of our mouths. It's just the easy thing for us to do. 
Last week, John talked about Jesus' words in Matthew 7. Jesus, Jesus taught us, why do you see the speck of dust in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye. You hypocrite. You be the first one to make the first move. You, you hypocrite. You apologize first. First own your junk. Apologize for your part first. But we focus so much instead on the plank in the other person's eye. In our apologies, we blame. Even in our apology, we say things like, hey, look, I'm sorry, okay? Or, this is, this is a good one, sorry, I didn't realize you were so sensitive. <laughs> Might not want to use that one, just a piece of advice. This one's my favorite. I think we've all used this in some way or another at some point in life. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you took it that way, <laughs> which is literally not an apology at all. I mean, all you're doing is saying you took something the wrong way, not my fault. I came across this list of pretty funny apologies uh, that I think would help us see just how ridiculous apologies can sound sometimes. It was called the Bad Apology Hall of Fame. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the apology for you, and then I'm going to tell you where the apology came from. Now, these are all real apologies that were made, uh, either statements made by people online or in a newspaper. And the first one is this. The comment was not meant to be a regional slur. To the extent that it was misinterpreted to be one, I apologize. <laughs> Which, again, not an apology at all. This was actually an attorney. He was apologizing for referring to jurors as illiterate cave dwellers. That was his apology. That apology did not fit the crime, I'll tell you that. This next one is great. It was an unfortunate remark that once it's in print, it looks a lot worse than it actually is. And for that, I'm sorry. This is a good one. We're all going to know this, this was a politician. This sounds like a politician apology right there. He was apologizing for calling his opponent an unusually good liar. That's what his apology was for. You see, making a good apology is hard. But I've actually got some tools for you. And, and it, we don't do this often. We're not a, a self-help church. We're a practical biblical teaching church. We want to help you see the truths of this book, this scripture, so that you can actually use them when you walk out this door. But today, I am going to give you a little step-by-step -step guide. Now, if you took these steps today and walked out these doors as a template for your next apology or apology you need to make this afternoon, I believe your apology would go a lot better than the ones we just read and probably a lot better than any apology you've ever done in the past. Now, there's seven steps to this, but don't freak out. We'll have the list at the end. So, men, you can take a picture, uh, put it on your phone, have it with you at all times. It's called, we're going to call it the seven A's. They all start with A. The first one is this, address everyone involved. The confession should go as far as the offense. If you had a blow-up fight with your wife in front of your kids, if you said things to your spouse that you knew would hurt the other person and you did it on purpose and, and your kids were around to see it, then your kids should be around to see the apology as well. Uh, if, you're, if you were at work in a staff meeting, you called somebody out on the carpet and you just, you, you really hurt them in front of other people, uh, made them feel unappreciated in front of other people, well, then you don't pull them into your office by yourself to make the apology. You make the apology at the next staff meeting where everybody else is around. Jesus, we see a story of Jesus uh, of, in the book of Luke where he meets a guy named Zacchaeus. Uh, if, you were, if you grew up in the church at all, you know the song, Zacchaeus, the guy in the tree, all that stuff, short guy. Uh, he meets Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus takes him over to his house for dinner. During that time, he realizes that he sinned against other people and he makes an apology to Jesus. We read it in, in Luke 19.8. He talks about that now that he's apologizing, he's going to give everything back to everybody he's hurt. 
He didn't just leave it at, oh, I'm sorry, I've realized I've done wrong, please forgive me. He is including everybody uh, in his apology because of the offense. Number two is avoid ifs and buts. You see, these, these words are so small and they're so simple to just let them slide into an apology. But I promise you, if you let one of these words slide in, it will ruin your confession. It will ruin your apology. You see, if communicates, I don't really think I did anything wrong, but if I did, I'm sorry. And but, but shifts the blame onto something or to someone else completely canceling out anything that you've actually said in your apology. Number three is admit specifically. We love to be vague about ourselves. When we're apologizing for something, we don't, we don't really get into the specifics. Yep, we're surprisingly very specific about other people's wrongs against us, but for us, we're pretty vague. See, confess both the specific action that took place, the specific words you said, the thing that you, you did to somebody else, but when we look back at what James has to say about conflict, James tells us that that conflict comes from somewhere inside, that that conflict is, is based in something in the heart. And so go deeper to the underlying desire within your heart. John called it an idol last week. The underlying idol within your heart that caused you to do the action you did, that caused you to say the things you did. Like I love how he, he brought it up. He said that his desire to please his father is what caused him to parent in a way that caused the conflict that he talked about last week. And so when you're apologizing, man, go a little bit deeper. It's an opportunity to bring clarity to the relationship. It's an opportunity to let that other person know you a little bit more. Hey, I'm not just sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for what's inside of me, and I need God to transform that. Like, I need God to come in and change me so that I don't ever do that again. Number four is acknowledge the hurt. Express an understanding and a sorrow for the fact that you hurt the other person. Express the fact that you understand that, that, that you're not oblivious to the fact that they're in pain. Number five, accept the consequences. An understanding that there will be consequences and a willingness to accept them is oftentimes the sign of a genuine confession and apology. This is one of my favorites. Number six, alter your behavior. Explain that with God's help you plan to change. That with God's transformation in your heart and your life that you plan to be different. An apology is like a promise. It's like a promise where your words are tied to future actions. And this is so key. This one is so key in, in an apology because it's the one thing that proves that you've actually gone beyond the fact that you're just sorry you got caught. Like this one shows that, yeah, I'm sorry I got caught, but I also don't want to be that person anymore. I, I have plans to change. Number seven, ask forgiveness. This gives the offended party the opportunity that they need to respond and express forgiveness. Forgiveness from the other party is the thing that actually brings the restoration. And so ask for forgiveness from that person. Give them the opportunity to bring it because I believe nothing has the power to restore a relationship faster than a conversation. See, but sometimes, sometimes it's not what we've done. Sometimes somebody sins against us. Sometimes somebody hurts us Knowingly, or I think very, very often unknowingly. And at that point, uh, we're left with a decision. We have a choice to make. Uh, we can continue to live with that hurt. We can continue to try and push it off. Like I said earlier, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll get over it. Uh, or we can have the courage to step into that very, very difficult conversation. 
And so that leads us to the second thing we're going to focus on today. The second set of tools that I hope helps you out as you move forward throughout your life. How to gently confront others. And this is where we're going to focus in on a little bit about what Jesus had to say. Jesus gave us some practical next steps to follow to go about engaging in a tough conversation with someone who has hurt you. And we read about that in the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is actually the first book of the New Testament. The New Testament is the second half of our Bible. It's the books about Jesus and the books after Jesus' life. And one thing I wanted to share with you today is as I was preparing for this, I just felt this like pressure of, of reading a lot of scripture, if that makes any sense to you. Like I just wanted to, I feel like as a church that cares so much about practical biblical teaching that I have a responsibility to read a lot when I'm up here. Uh, and God kind of got to me. Uh, he kind of convicted me of that thought this past week. And, and I just had a sense from him, heard from him, whatever you want to call it, that the idea of if I could grasp this one verse, if I could get this one verse into my heart and into my mind and let it actually transform my life, that this one verse could change everything. And I believe the same for you today. And so I'm actually going to focus in on just one verse. It's Matthew 18, 15. And it says this, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault. And I'm like, wait a second, Jesus. So you're saying they sin against me and now I have their responsibility? They did something to me and now it's my responsibility to have the courage to actually step up and go have that conversation? It's not if your brother sins against you, go and tell all your friends how mad you are? God, don't you mean if, if my brother or sister sins against me, shouldn't I just act like it didn't happen and wait for it to blow over? Because it'll blow over, be fine. Or God, if your brother or sister sins against me or against you, Shoot them a text. Let them know how angry you are. Maybe write out an email. Maybe use some other form of communication besides actually talking to them. Is that what you meant, Jesus? And he goes on, just between the two of you. This is where this conversation differs vastly from the apology conversation. Uh, just in the apology we talked about, man, when you offend somebody, when you hurt somebody in the company of others, you should apologize in the company of others. This, we know... If you call somebody out on the carpet that's hurt you in front of other people, it only serves to worsen the conflict. If you're in a step, I'll tell you a story. Just this past, uh, past Thursday at a leadership team meeting, I did this. <laughs> I'm working on this message, and I did this. I said, a, I said something out loud in the context of a meeting that was directed at somebody else in the meeting, and I called them out on the carpet, and I had to apologize in that moment in the meeting. I, I apparently learned nothing as I'm preparing these things. Jesus goes on. He says, if, you list, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Jesus helped me with my main point this week. Nothing has the power to restore relationship faster than a conversation. Jesus shows us that. When somebody hurts you, you go to them and talk to them. If they listen, it's over. You've won them over. Everything may not be perfect. It may not be finished forever, but you can at least move forward. You can begin working on things. As I mentioned, that leadership meeting that took place, we talked a lot about conflict in that meeting. Uh, there wasn't supposed to be any conflict until I opened my big mouth. But we were just talking about conflict. Uh, and it came up from a few of them that, that I'm actually good at this. And I'm actually good at confrontation. And I started thinking about that a little bit. <laughs> I kind of took a step back and I'm like, I wonder why that is. I mean, usually you're only good at something that you have done a lot of. And I would not consider it a good thing that if I've had enough conflict and had to have enough hard conversations to become a master at it, probably not a great thing. 
But as I thought through it a little bit more, uh, I believe there's one thing that has helped me have the courage needed, uh, to have the strength needed to actually have tough conversations over the course of my life. And it's this. I always assume the other person didn't intend to make me feel that way. I always assume they had no desire to make me feel the way I feel, and I enter into the conversation under that pretense. You see, if I assume they didn't mean to make me feel that way, if I assume they had no desire to undermine my authority, if I assume it was not their intention to make me feel unappreciated, then, then I have the opportunity to walk into the conversation and say, Jimmy, man, I just, I just need you to know that when you said this, when you did this thing, it, it made me feel unashamed, ashamed. it made me feel unwanted, it made me feel hurt. And I, I, I'm sure you didn't mean to do it because I know you and I love you and, and I just needed you to know that. And see, Jimmy's in the room today and so Jimmy has the seven A's, right? He knows how to make an apology. And so Jimmy reciprocates in that conversation with a, with a healthy, good, solid apology and boom, our re relationship is completely restored in, the con in, the, in one conversation. And I'm sure you're thinking, Matt, you just, you don't even know. You don't know what I'm going through. Uh, you, you probably think I'm oversimplifying things, and that's probably true. You probably have situations in your life that I don't understand. I'm sure there's things in your life that are far deeper, far harder than anything that I'm saying would actually help fix. Uh, but I will tell you this, that for me, in many, if not most of my confrontations and situations in my life, I find that this brings a lot of help. And so just like we did with the apology conversation, I wanted to give you practical next steps, things that you can actually take and walk out these doors today, begin to have a conversation where you gently need to confront somebody that has hurt you and actually use them. I, I think you can seriously think of this as a template. Uh, it may not be the best template, I, I, I'm fine with that, but based on the fact that nobody likes to do con confrontation and based on the fact that I'm sure your last ones haven't gone very well, it's probably better than any template you've used before. And so we're going to assume it's a pretty good template. Number one is this, prepare. Think ahead about the conversation that you're about to have. Think about the conversation you want to have. Now, what could you do in advance to go into this conversation in a way that would bring about healthy restoration in the relationship? You see, these aren't the type of conversations that you just kind of want to have on a whim. You really don't want to just shoot off a text. You don't want to bump into somebody in the hall and just stop them and say, hey, by the way, you really hurt me the other day. All right, have, have a good lunch. Now, you want to think through this conversation. You want to pray about this conversation. I actually think it's probably fine to seek godly counsel as well. There's a way to seek godly counsel from somebody that you know loves Jesus and wants to point people towards Jesus without it being gossip. You can sit down with somebody and get their help going into a conversation like this. You can study scripture. Scripture is a fantastic tool in helping us know how to step into all kinds of situations in life. You can plan what you're going to say, possibly write it down, plan and anticipate their reactions as well. If you don't anticipate reactions, they could react in a way that you're not prepared for. It could cause you to flare up and that whole conversation is over and wasted. So prepare when you go into this conversation. Number two, affirm the relationship. See, every conflict involves both a person and a problem. And if all we do is focus on the problem, we're, we're going to make things worse. See, this is where, for me, assuming the best comes into play. I affirm the relationship by going in and saying, hey, I, I know you didn't mean to do this. I believe that you didn't mean to hurt me. 
I believe that you have the desire for our relationship to be restored just as much as I do. Number three, speak boldly. In a tough conversation like this, now is not the time to be unclear about your feelings. You've already done the hard work. Uh, you've already stepped out and you've sent a text and said, hey, man, when you get in the office today, I just love five minutes of your time. Uh, you've already made the phone call. You've sent the email saying, hey, when we have a chance to sit down over the next few weeks, I really have something I need to share with you. That's not an easy thing to do. And then you've met in person and, and you've started talking and, and you've gotten over the nerves and you're sitting there and if you skirt the issue, you've wasted all of it. Because you could get to the end of this conversation, nothing could be resolved. You're going to go on living your life in, in the pain of conflict. That other person's probably going to go on not even knowing they did anything wrong. So speak boldly. Number four, listen gracefully. See, I'm not naive. Uh, I... I understand, I know that not every conversation is going to turn out perfect. I know, again, as I mentioned before, that you have situations in your life that I could never understand. But I do believe, and I experienced this in my life, that if you utilize these tools, uh, if, you, if you take the tools that you've been given today and actually implement them in your next conversation, that if you looked in the mirror and owned your part and you gently and purposefully prepare to engage in this tough conversation with somebody that nine times out of ten... I truly believe it's going to end well. I truly believe that that other party, especially people that you love dearly, that they want to make things right. They certainly want to clear the air because they may not have even known they did what they did. They may not remember that they said what they said. And so they want to clear the air. And maybe, and, and I'll say hopefully, they want to apologize. And so you need to be prepared to listen with grace. Because nothing has the power to restore a relationship faster than a conversation. We all experience conflict. And that conflict has led us to severed relationships. Broken relationships. Now, you don't want that relationship to stay broken. And I truly believe in most cases, they don't want that relationship to remain broken either. And so now you have some tools. You have some things in your tool belt that you can actually go and utilize to bring about change in a relationship that's experiencing conflict. So go. Make that first move by entering in to that difficult conversation. For the follower of Christ, for those of us in the room that have chosen to make Jesus the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, I couldn't help but go through planning this message without looking at it through the lens of the gospel. Uh, I just, it, it kind of hit me that we fell into this broken relationship. With God. We were born into this broken relationship with God through our sin against him. God did something amazing by taking the first step, by making the first move, by sending Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins, to, to make a way back into a restored relationship with him. And then uh, through a conversation of sorts, at one point, we, we realized we owned our sin. And we said, God, we, we need you to be our Savior. We made our apology. We realized that we, we needed his forgiveness and his salvation. And in that moment, talk about power in a conversation. Our eternities were forever changed because of what God did for us to restore relationship. Because it means that much to him. And so I'll ask you this. 
tough conversation. What tough, what, what do you need to do to go have a tough conversation with somebody today? Who is that person that you need to have a tough conversation with? What relationship do you wish was back to how it used to be? Who are you in relationship right now that you can identify that, man, things are okay. We're, we're existing just fine. In fact, we have some fun times and we enjoy each other, but there's still something underlying that you know needs to be worked through for you to be back to how it used to be, to be restored the way it used to be. So I challenge you, make the first move. Be the first one to send the text. Be the first one to pick up the phone and make a call to set up that meeting. Be the first one to have the courage to bring about that restoration in your relationship because nothing has the power to restore a relationship faster than that conversation. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in conversation with you, to, to be in restored relationship with you. God, we know that you desire restored relationships amongst us as well. That the horizontal, vertical relationship are so tied together. God, help us to know how to use these tools well. They're just, they're just some tools. There could be better ones out there. But it's an opportunity for us to, to actually put some effort into being a little bit better at having conversations with people in the hopes that we would bring about restoration, in the hopes that they might point us towards you and we can point them towards you. God, we love you and we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be together. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.